it, this is true immersive learning, right? When, when your headphones are on or when you're listening in a, in a quiet room, the Proteo courses take you to another world. And yeah. what's, what's more engaging than that? Hello, I'm so glad you've joined us for part two of our conversation with Bruce Fern, president of Change Ready Solutions and Proteo instructor of Talent Magnet, which we showcased and spoke to Bruce about in episode two of this sound learning podcast and ethical client acquisition, which we'll give you a sneak peek on today. The aim of this course is in the accounting field, going through the CPA code of ethics and walking through how to keep your client acquisition and relationship in line with the code. It really, though, has value in any industry as it's based in client relationship. So now we'll go to continuing the conversation Russell and I had with Bruce and play the first module of our story style CPE course, Ethical Client Acquisition. So let's talk about the other course you created, which is a client acquisition and retention course. Tell us about your background and expertise and how you came about learning the skills you've taught in that course. That's another good story, Russell. So in my field, I started in leadership development. Right? I was the head of leadership development for um, a great bank in its time, Manufacturers Hanover Trust, which became um, Chemical and which then became Chase Bank. And then I got in, invited to join Citicorp and to help in the creation and launch of a, a brand new groundbreaking product. Today, it's called City Gold. Um, and uh, it's one, it was one of the few products that integrated banking, brokerage, and lending services for the client. So when I became the head of uh, learning and development for that part of Citibank, um, one of the things that we were most charged to do was to help our account offices be more effective at selling the service to potential consumers who would be buying it. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I said, okay, well, it's great. I, I feel like I'm pretty adept at leadership development, but sales, that was new to me. So I did have a chance to do just like a little bit of what we said, to engage some of the best sales learning specialists in the country. And I started to learn about it. And in fact, I got on the phone and it sold my soul, right? I sold, sold not myself, <laughs> I sold the yeah. services myself, right? Yeah. In order to make sure that I really could apply the principles we were teaching. Um, and as I was doing that for a few years, an organization approached me. And, uh, and I met this fellow who I thought was brilliant at selling. He was brilliant. And... I said, well, let me show you what we're doing here in terms of sales training. Um, some of this is from other companies. Some of this we've created ourselves. And if you do something different, let me know. We'll hire you. So I showed him what we did, and he came back, and he said, what you're doing is so sophisticated. We're not even doing that yet. So we said, so I don't think I have anything I can sell you. Mm. said, but what I would like to do instead is I'd like to hire you All right. <laughs> because I'd like you to help my organization yeah. create solutions like what you've developed. So I joined that organization, um, and that was the organization I referred to that I was with for 10 years and ended up being the executive vice president of consulting. But this fellow was one of the most brilliant salespeople in the world. He created the selling solutions um, before I knew him, before I met him, 
for Xerox Learning. I'm showing my age a little bit. That was one of the top learning organizations in the world. And he was the one who created all the sales training. So um, I spent 10 years really with, in many ways, him being one of my mentors about what great selling looks like. And I'm going to tell you a secret. Right? You don't even have to take a proteo course to hear this, learn the secret. Now. <laughs> yeah. good, good selling is about understanding the picture that the buyer has in their head of what they want to sell. Now, that's much deeper than saying, well, understand their needs ask questions about them and their organization. No, no. It's about really understanding the worldview that the buyer has and then working to communicate how your solution can help satisfy that view. That's a pretty sophisticated concept. Yeah, yeah. If some, so, um, so I then started to shape all my sales solutions um, around that concept. But, of course, putting structure and tools and processes to it. And so while I was at this company, I had a chance to create sales selling solutions for every industry you could imagine and sales management solutions for every industry you could imagine. So um, I feel like I've been given a gift of special insight about how do you work effectively with, uh, with a person or, an, or a commercial organization to help them make decisions to choose your services over others but not because you've falsely positioned them or omitted comments about your service, but rather because you've been super successful at communicating how your solution will help the client meet their goals. And so um, with that knowledge and wisdom, when you and Christine came to me and said, you know, the people in the uh, accounting industry are constantly expected to acquire new customers to build their business, do you have any insights about that? Well, everything I just described to you prompted me to say, yes, we can do so. And we have uh, on our drawing table at Proteo is a, a, a new version of that client-based selling that uh, is for anybody in any industry. And that's something uh, we're excited about. And this client acquisition is um, is part of our ethics package as well. So you've weaved the code of conduct into the course, which I think was brilliant, which gives that course um, certainly a an accounting bent, but just uh, an amazing amount of information around how to ethically, according to the code of ethics for accountants, um, acquire and retain uh, clients. So it's a great, great course too. And that was one of the interesting things I found about the course is that the uh, sales and accounting ethics people never really talk to each other. <laughs> and <laughs> right, so, you know, those are the two opposite ends of the spectrum there. You're right, Russell. It's an interesting juncture. Right? Yeah. I'll tell you something. How many people in the world have to sell for a living, right? Literally millions. It's not hard to sell if you're going to lie all the time, right? So yeah. uh, if you, I, I just recently um, was talking to people at one of the major um, internet service providers because I'm moving and my wife and I are thinking, okay, what do we want? Do we want a gigabyte? Do we want uh, fiber optic? Do we want this or that? And that person could have 
lift out a lot of important information. Yeah. That uh, and and so to make us think, oh, what a beautiful thing! Let's get that. Let's get that. And then later on, we find out, oh, that comes with a price tag you didn't tell us about. Oh, if we take this, we got to give up that. Oh, if we take this, we actually can't do that. So, so it's not hard to sell if you're willing to enter into the world of untruth, right? But of course, uh, if you're in a business where you care about whether the customer comes back. Well, you can't do that. You yeah. can't do that. You can't do that. Repeat business is uh, is the core of so many organizations yeah. and success. And so um, you have to be ethical, right? So this is a, it's critical for accounting, right? Vital, but in every industry, uh, the challenge is is how do I sell and not stay in the gray zone? Many salespeople tell you they operate in the gray zone about what's true and what's not true. That's not how you get repeat business. So um, it's it's a challenge. It's harder to sell and be ethical, but that's how you build trust with clients who come back. Absolutely. You know, I do a lot of work on, on influence and emotional intelligence. And often mm-hmm. it's a difference between influence and manipulation. Yes. Influence is a positive um, force where manipulation once someone's manipulated and realizes that they're not coming back at all, you know, so it reminds me of right. that a little bit. In my career, I've taken those selling principles and have applied them to internal influencing. Yeah. Yep. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that almost everyone who works in a business setting has to be effective at influencing other people around them. Whatever it is, whether it's about, hey, here's a new idea. Shall we, uh, why don't we go after it? Or, hey, here's a customer who's asking for something. Here's why I think we should give it to them. Or, hey, here's a new uh, industry we should focus on, but I have to still be good at influencing them. The same principles that we have used in uh, ethical selling yeah. um, are the principles that can be used for internal influencing, just as you say. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's a great insight, and uh, it's a truth. So, Bruce, uh, you know, we've we've spent a number of years getting to know you and uh, doing these courses with you, and uh, just tell us a little bit about where you're at now, what you're working on with Change Ready Solutions, and uh, and where you where you'll be going in the future. One of the things that I know we wanted to consider in this podcast was our thoughts about where the future of business is going, right? That's right. And so so as we thought about ourselves, and I say this, our, we meaning the people that I'm blessed to work with, as we thought about this, we see that there's a trend taking place now that we think will only get stronger. The trend was certainly prompted by COVID, right? And um, But it's sustained now by um, a force that, is autonomous, that's independent of COVID. And that force is the level of tolerance on the part of people who work for working in an environment that doesn't treat them as valued human beings. Yeah, that's right. Right? Look what's happening in the world. People look at their jobs and they say, listen, if I feel like I'm abused by my employer, and it doesn't have to be personal abuse, right? It's just that I work for a situation and it's not equitable. Um, People are beginning to say, why should I stay? 
Why should I stay? Yeah. Maybe, I, I wonder if this is an existential question because they see people around them who have died from COVID. They see people around them who've gotten horribly sick and, and uh, long-lasting COVID still exists. And then they take a look at their lives and say, well, what am I doing? What am I doing here? What's important to me? Mm-hmm. So I think that this is only the beginning of a demand on organization, be they 10 people large or 100,000 people large, to say, how do we get our work done, achieve our goals, be strategic, beat our competitors, uh, be profitable, all those good things. But how do we do that? At, and at the same time, create an environment where employees feel cared for, valued, respected, where they have a voice, regardless of their age, color, religion, or all these other things. So uh, I think that uh, the whole world is going to find that organizations have to create a more humane workplace. Again, not saying, oh, we give people whatever they want. They can take five-hour breaks. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a a workplace where the employee well-being is at the forefront and center of an organization, and organizations learn how to support well-being in order to achieve demanding business objectives. These are not really separate independent variables. When, when an employee feels great about their work, about their how they're treated, about where they are, that they belong, and that they feel good about their contributions, and the organization is effective at communicating its mission, vision, and goals, and their role in all of that, then effective goal achievement and employee well-being are not independent variables. Now, we've always known this uh, at some conscious level. There's been studies that have been done decades ago that show that employee satisfaction is highly correlated to customer satisfaction. Uh, We know that. But now we're talking more deeply about employee well-being being highly correlated with strategic goal achievement. And I think that the world is seeing that we can't treat people like robots, automatons, parts of a machine that don't have feelings, parts of a machine that don't have families, or personal values that are important to them. And we just can't do that anymore. So organizations are going to have to get smart at about how to put employees first in order to achieve corporate business objectives. I think the world is going there, Christine and Russell, and the, uh, everyone's going to have to get smart about how to how to manage that balance in an integrated way. So, where are you where where are you positioning yourself, Bruce? So, um, there are two elements of this that equation that we're focusing on. So, one is you know this notion about can we be a business that focuses on employee well being as a way of achieving goals, that's a cultural issue. So I'm working with some really smart people to help organizations build a culture that puts employees first in order to achieve business goals. So cultural development is one of the things that is taking up my time these days. And then the other is, and it's really an aspect of that, is uh, inclusive problem solving. How do you make 
tough, demanding decisions as a team in a way that's not according to the old hierarchy of uh, uh, the highest paid person in the room as it makes the final decision. They call that hippo, highest paid person in the organization. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so not hippo decisions, which is why most decisions are made in business, but rather including diverse people with diverse thoughts to come up with more innovative solutions to overcome these unprecedented challenges we're dealing with. So creating a culture where put people put people first and inclusive problem solving, which is really a subset of that, is where my energy is these days. Excellent. That sounds like very important work. And we just really appreciate you. Thank you for taking the time to talk about the work that you're doing, where you're going, where you where we need to be going uh, as organizations. And yeah, we're going to play the first module of client acquisition. Let's begin this course with a story. In a little village, there was a milkman who was the only one for miles around who provided milk to the villagers. He was thinking about how to grow his business when, one day, as he was pouring the milk from one bucket to another, some of the milk spilled into a bucket of water adjacent to the milk buckets. This got him to thinking. If I put a little water into the milk that I sell to the villagers, they won't know it, and I could squeeze more money from that milk. So he began to do this. He would sell buckets of milk which were 90% milk and 10% water. No one said anything, so after a while, he decided to increase the water and decrease the milk. Well, this kept going on until the point when he was selling buckets of 50% water and 50% milk. The people started complaining that the milk did not taste right, but since he was the only milkman around, they had little choice but to buy the milk from him. After a while, he feared that someone in the village might steal from him, and so he put his money in a sack and planned to cross the river to go to put his money in the bank. When he got to the river, he learned that the ferryman would not be back until the next day. Not wanting to wait any longer, the milkman waded into the swift current of the river. Halfway across, he began feeling more confident until he reached the center of the river where the current was the strongest. Suddenly, he slipped on a rock under the water and went under. He kept trying to stand, but was repeatedly dunked under the river by the strong current over and over again. He tried to keep his bag above his head, but when he went under, he flailed his arms, and he and the bag were continually pulled down. When he finally got to the other side of the river, he looked at his sack of money, and to his horror, he saw that the sack had opened and half of the money was gone. As he was sobbing about his terrible luck, a wise man walked by who had deep penetrating vision and insight that allowed him to see all that had taken place at the river and even before that with the milkman's customers. He calmed the milkman down, and when the milkman asked yet again, why did this happen to me? The wise man said, well, sir, if you really want to know, you could say that the milk money stayed with the milkman 
and the water money went with the water. This story, interestingly enough, is about accounting and is about growing your business, but it's also about ethics. It brings home the point that while you're expected to follow the code of ethics that govern your field and region, there's a higher order of things that govern right and wrong. And your ethical standards are meant to guide you down a healthy path so you don't end up sobbing by the riverside complaining about your bad luck. Hello, I'm Bruce Fern, president of Change Ready Solutions. We're a leadership development, marketing and sales training and consulting organization based out of New York. I'll be your personal instructor over the next two hours for this Proteo course, Client Acquisition, Ethical Strategies for Attracting and Retaining Great Clients. If you're a member of a larger accounting firm and you're expected to bring in new clients, this course is for you. If you're a sole proprietor of your own accounting business and you want to grow your business, this course is also for you. And if you're a member of a small accounting firm who's always looking to grow, you're in the right place. So welcome. And it doesn't matter how capable you are as an accountant, because if you have difficulty acquiring new business relationships, it'll be hard to achieve your business objectives. But likewise, if you try and grow your practice in a way that is intentionally or inadvertently inconsistent with your prescribed ethical standards, you'll find that trouble will follow you. Considering this, the objectives of this course are to help you successfully acquire new client relationships, but in a manner that follows and even leverages accounting ethical standards. I'm going to pass along uncommon insights about how to present yourself and your services in a way that results in prospective clients wanting to work with you, but also in a way that helps you deal with potentially sticky ethical issues. Your code as accountants requires you to demonstrate integrity, objectivity, professional competence and due care, confidentiality, and professional behavior. The truth is that your clients want that from you also, and I'll be referring to these ethical guidelines throughout the course to help you understand how they apply to successful client acquisition. During our time together, I'll give you insights on how to effectively build those client relationships, as well as how to manage the different phases of what we call the client acquisition cycle. Those phases include building credibility, which will begin in this module, asking questions to explore client needs, making persuasive recommendations, gaining commitment to an accounting relationship, and renewing and expanding the relationship. We'll look at the most relevant ethical standards, and I'll provide you with key principles for handling specific aspects of the client acquisition cycle. Additionally, I'll give you wisdom points that represent uncommon wisdom about having a positive mindset and how to manage yourself throughout the client acquisition cycle. This sound will be your cue to these very important wisdom points. Okay, let's get to it. This first module is about building credibility and establishing trust. Effectively building a client base is dependent on your ability to quickly establish credibility and trust and help your clients have faith in you as well as your firm if you're part of a larger organization. Trust is important throughout the client acquisition cycle and it begins now in the first stage of building credibility. 
Let's listen to audio that contains several people's views on trust, and then a few key comments from the well-known author Stephen M. R. Covey, son of the late Stephen Covey. I know I can trust somebody if they look me in the eye. They don't need to stare at me, but I can see when they're just shifty. Blatant lying to my face. Body language says a lot. If they're a little too slick, they're hiding something. It takes years to earn a good reputation, but you can certainly lose it in a lot shorter period of time. In today's global marketplace, speed is everything. And in my experience, one thing creates speed more effectively than anything else. That one thing is trust. It's the hidden variable that changes everything. The speed of trust affects every organization, every relationship, every interaction, 24-7, 365 days a year. And when trust isn't there, speed goes down and cost goes up. In order for a client to make the determination that they want to work with you, there must be some initial level of trust which is required to acquire and also maintain desirable business relationships. Listen to this brief clip from a Proteo interview with Saskia Muller of Galloway Botticelli & Company on trust in accounting. We would try to set up uh, a meeting or have a meeting with the potential new client and we don't charge a fee for that. I mean, our philosophy is that it's it's really important both for, for them if they're choosing to work with you as, as their accountant, I should say, um, that they have trust in you because it's, it's a relationship of mutual trust. So both in terms of them trusting you to provide them with professional advice, but also for us trusting them that they're not going to mislead us ideally um, is sort of, I think, my goal, especially when meeting with new clients. I think you'll agree that trust is a prerequisite to client acquisition. Now, let's peek in on a local accountant, George, as he sits in his car and prepares for a meeting with Charlotte, a referral he received from his local lawyer. He's never met Charlotte before, and he very much wants her as a client. Besides being very wealthy, she owns three businesses, which he may eventually be able to help her with as their accountant. This is a good referral from Nancy. I want to get this right and earn her trust, but if I'm being honest with myself, I'm not exactly sure what to say. I have a standard pitch, but from what Nancy said to me about Charlotte, she's just not your standard client. I guess I could tell her about my education and examples of my other clients, of course without breaching confidentiality, but I always say that. Hmm. Now I'm not sure if my standard pitch is... is going to be enough. Hello? Uh, yes, honey, yep. I can pick up milk and eggs before I come home. Uh, no, nothing's wrong. I'm just a little tense. This could be a major account for me. I want to say the right things, and I don't think I should give my standard spiel. I know it's a good opening, and I'm glad to hear you like it. I'm, I'm just not sure... What's wrong with George saying the same thing he always says? Truthfully, one size does not fit all in client acquisition. In order for George's prospective client to have faith in him, she needs to know that George is not going to give her a cookie-cutter accounting solution, but rather a solution that meets her specific needs. There are, in fact, three key principles for building credibility and trust in the early stages of a professional accounting relationship. And George and all accounting professionals would benefit from these principles. These principles also reinforce the specific ethical standards of competence and professionalism. 
Principle number one, before coming to the meeting, ask a few questions to determine your client's top priorities. For an individual or family, this might include questions such as, what are your priorities concerning retirement planning? Or it might be about wealth building or reducing taxes. For a business, these might include, what are your financial priorities and greatest challenges as a business? This will help you focus on what your client cares most about and demonstrate the ethical standards of competence and professionalism. It may make sense for you to also ask if they're currently working with another accountant because, depending on your local standards, you may need to pay special attention to the ethics guidelines that apply when the client is already working with another accounting professional. You must always make sure that you behave professionally and courteously towards other accounting professionals already working with the client. Principle number two. During the meeting, using the knowledge you've gained from your preliminary questions, describe how you've helped clients successfully solve similar problems and meet similar goals. Remember, ethically, to maintain complete confidentiality and don't oversell or overpromise, but do help them see the ways in which you can help them. If you're part of a larger firm, discuss your firm's reputation and credentials describing the resources your firm makes available to you to help your clients. Also, describe your personal credentials, present printed materials, or direct them to your website if you have one, and be sure to include any special education that you've taken that might be relevant to your clients' needs. And if you have written any articles or presented at any conferences, be sure to weave that into the conversation also. And principle number three, after the meeting, follow up with an email thanking them and reinforcing that you can help them achieve their goals. Having these three principles enables you to plan for the meeting effectively, demonstrate to the client that you're efficient, buttoned down, and focused on their needs, and this also builds your own confidence because you've planned well for the meeting. And now, here's your first secret wisdom point, and that's this. You can't build trust with others until you believe in and trust yourself. My personal advice to you is eliminate all self-doubt. Self-doubt eats away at your confidence like a voracious predator. Make sure you sincerely believe you can help your prospective clients and your confidence will come out when you meet with them. And unfortunately, if you don't feel that way, it will also show. From an ethics perspective, this early phase also includes making sure you only select clients who maintain values that are consistent with those of the accounting ethical standards. Let's listen again to Saskia as she briefly talks about this. I think the biggest thing is uh, that I've seen from other professionals is, and, and I've sort of, I think I've hesitated with uh, accepting clients at times for this myself, is competence and the scope of the work involved. I think a lot of times, I know I felt this when I first became a partner that, you know, every client who comes in the door, I should be taking them on. Um, and I think part of that is building confidence in your own professional abilities and also, um, having a successful firm to be able to get past a point where I have to feel that way. It's my concern about sole proprietors. And I've seen this happen before where, you know, you take on uh, work with someone who they're going to try to 
push you around essentially, or that they're working in some shady areas, but you're sort of overlooking that because, you know, at least you're going to get paid for it. And I think a high level of professional skepticism is really required and, and really standing firm in your values and, and your knowledge and knowing um, where the line can be drawn and be able to say that. Accounts run into trouble if they let a client talk them into doing something they ought not to do. The best way to avoid this situation is to screen your prospects early on and not take on potential clients who give you signals that they will try and get you to do something unethical down the road. You don't want the client who will ask you to bill for 100% milk when it's really 50% water. The ethics code requires you to help your clients manage threats, to identify threats to compliance, to evaluate those threats, and to recommend actions to eliminate or reduce those risks and threats to an acceptable level. That's what ethical accountants do, and this first stage of the cycle is the perfect time to start. As Joss Wieg, the co-founder and partner of LifeCA, says, I think the question of ethics, I mean, is certainly an undercurrent to anything one does in, in business. To summarize, you want to establish trust and credibility early on with prospective clients. Number one, before coming to the meeting, ask questions to determine your client's priorities. Number two, during the meeting, describe how you and or your firm has helped clients successfully solve similar problems and describe your personal credentials. And number three, after the meeting, follow up with an email or a note thanking them and reinforcing that you can help them achieve their goals. And believe in yourself and maintain a positive mindset. Your prospective clients will feel it. And if you take these actions, you're on the road to building credibility and trust and enabling your clients to have faith in you as their accounting professional who can help them achieve their goals. In the next module, you'll learn the secrets of how to develop your own personal brand, which helps clients to see the value of selecting you as their account. See you next time. Okay, as always, you can find the full course on our website, proteolearning.com, or take it on the road and download the Proteo app on iOS or Android. Bruce makes himself available for questions, and you can find his contact info in the introduction area of the course. And of course, you can always contact us as well, info at proteolearning.com. Again, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for episode four, where we'll be talking all about conflict. Is it all that bad? Uh, just to anyone who's listening, I just want to tell you, if you want to have a great experience that gives you a high ROI on your time, Come to the Proteo courses, right? And uh, and if you come to my course, I promise to also make you chuckle as well as be engaged. So. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. Thanks. We appreciate okay. you and your friendship with Proteo and an ongoing relationship. Thank you, Russell. And thank you, Christine. Talk to you Thanks. again soon. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye for now.